to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, as we come uh, to the end, to the conclusion of the book of Hebrews. It's been uh, 20, this will be 21 sermons from the book. And so I hope uh, as we have gone uh, through the book of Hebrews that your faith in Christ has been strengthened, that you have heeded the, the call uh, from the author to hold on to your confidence, uh, to your boasting in the hope uh, that is Jesus Christ. And, and so I hope it's been encouraging that you have uh, heeded the exhortation of uh, the author to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And we come uh, to our conclusion then here in the book of Hebrews uh, in the last uh, verses, verse 20 through 25, as we look at a, a benediction uh, that the author prays uh, for the original readers, but also for us today, and, and then final greetings. And so we will come and close out today the book of Hebrews. Starting next week, then, we will start in a series uh, leading up to Easter called Easter from the Old Testament. And, and so we're going to look at how the Old Testament talks about resurrection, looks forward to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Walter will uh, lead that off uh, as I will be out of town uh, next Sunday. So Walter will... Uh, preach uh, the first sermon from Easter from the Old Testament and so that will be our series uh, starting next week but now if you would follow along with me as I read verses 20 through 25 of Hebrews chapter 13 now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant equip you with every good that you may do his will with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever amen I appeal to you brothers bear with my word of exhortation for I've written to you briefly you should know that our brother Timothy has been released with whom I shall see you if he comes soon greet all your leaders and all the saints those who come from Italy send you greetings grace be with all of you. Let us pray. Father, as your people, we come before you, before your throne of grace. And Father, we do pray that grace would be with all of us as we hear your word today. That, Father, that through your word, that you would equip us with every good, that we may do your will that you would work in us that which is pleasing in your sight through your son Jesus Christ in his name we pray amen long ago and many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom he also created the world he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as his name, as, in, as the name he has inherited 
is more excellent than theirs. These are the words of Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And these first words of the letter to the Hebrews, it, it set the stage for everything that followed in the book. Uh, Jesus, uh, the author, has shown us that Jesus is greater than the angels, that from Jesus we have such a great salvation, and in him we have uh, a great Savior. And, and as we, as we and, uh, together have considered Jesus, we have seen that he is greater than the law and the covenant. Jesus is greater than Joshua. He's greater than the high priest Aaron. Jesus is our great high priest forever. He is our full assurance of faith. He is our great redemption. He is our great once and for all sacrifice. Therefore, the author has said, do not neglect such a great salvation. Do not harden your heart. Do not fall away. Do not continue to sin as if Christ has not died for you. Instead, live by faith, by trusting in God. Look to Jesus who endured the cross. Strive for holiness as God is holy. Stand firm as part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken, whose king is Jesus Christ. And so the first words of Hebrews introduces us to Jesus as the final word from God. And the last words of Hebrews here praise for God to work through Jesus in our lives. It is a final good word that aligns and sums up not only Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, but it sums up the rest of the letter. And so the author accomplishes this here in our text this morning through a benediction. A benediction, which is a final good word in the form of a prayer to the original Jewish readers of the letter, but is also for us today. And in this benediction, the author makes an appeal to the original readers. He makes an appeal to us, uh, to the hearers, uh, to bear with the brief word of exhortation. That's what he says there. Uh, down in verse 22, he, he says, Bear with my word of exhortation, for I've written uh, to you briefly. And, and, and so the original letters, or I'm sorry, not the original letters, the original readers or listeners to the letter, uh, they, uh, this letter, which would have been read out loud to them, uh, had to bear with it for about an hour. You've had to bear uh, with 20 sermons so far on this short letter of exhortation. And, and so when he says, I appeal to you brothers to bear with my word of exhortation, he says, he, what he's saying, he says, put up with them, abide in them, receive them with meekness and carry them out. And he says, take heed, listen, and do not cast aside God's word. He, he, basically, he's saying, know that I have written to you out of a pastor's heart for your soul. And so the author's words, that his letter is a word of exhortation, shows us his intent in writing this letter. He has exhorted the readers, he has exhorted us to stand firm in the faith and live in a manner that is pleasing to God. He has written to us as Christians to exhort us, to uh, urge us, to early, urgently caution us, to admonish us not to turn away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. He, he's urged us not to turn away from the person and work of Jesus Christ. In other words, he's given to us urgent advice, and he command, and 
not only uh, in exhortation form, but he's given us commands and warnings concerning the Christian faith and life. And so, brothers and sisters, uh, here this morning, I, I would say to you, let us listen to what God has said to us through the book of Hebrews and take it to heart this day. Here's, hear God's word to us and let us look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And besides a, a, a benediction uh, prayed on our behalf and an appeal to bear with the exhortation to stand firm in Christ, the, the author gives a, a, a bit of good news in final greeting. The good news, he says, is that Timothy has been released. Timothy, we know, is the companion of the Apostle Paul. He's either been released from jail or from some obligation, and, and the author hopes uh, that along with Timothy that they would come and visit uh, the Jewish believers to, what, to whom he has written. He then, having given them that good news, he urges them, he calls on them to greet their leaders and their fellow saints as Christians should greet one another. And that is to greet one another with affection and with a welcoming spirit. And, and finally, in our text, the author, who, who possibly is a friend or a, a co-worker or maybe even a convent, convert uh, of the Apostle Paul, he ends his letter as the Apostle Paul often ends his letters by saying, Grace be with all of you. And that is simply just a recognition that the Christian life is lived out solely through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And notice, notice the theme. Notice that the theme uh, is a theme of grace that lies beneath all of verses 20 through 25. Grace from the God of peace who equips us, who equips us with every good to do his will. Grace needed to hear the word of exhortation given us here in the book of Hebrews. Grace to greet one another in Christ Jesus. Grace committed to us at the end. Grace, grace, God's grace. It's marvelous grace. It's infinite grace. As we sang, it's amazing grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. And we see this grace poured out here in the author's good word for us, for our, our sanctification, here in the benediction that he gives in verses 20 through 21. Uh, he, we see, first of all, uh, he prays this prayer for our sanctification. And, and the thing that we see is our, our sanctification is a work of God. It is a work of God. That's why the author prays. He knows where that work comes from. It comes from the hand of God. So he's praying to God, the sovereign of the universe. And here in the first verse, verse 20, we see the foundation of our sanctification as Christians. Uh, we see truths, theological truths that serve as the foundation of our sanctification. He says, now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. And, and, and so we see here this uh, first part of this prayer that it tells us about God and what God has done. And, and so here, as he ends with this benediction on our behalf, uh, he gives us, uh, in, in these verses, he gives us an invocation, may the God of peace. He gives us a petition that we're going to find in verse 21, and he ends it with the doxology. And first, though, he lays a strong theological foundation uh, for our sanctification. 
and it is what God has done through the person of Jesus Christ. And so the first thing we see, he says, the God of peace. It's the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. You see, it's the God of peace, God the Father, who sanctifies us completely and keeps us blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 through 24 says. Uh, there, the Apostle Paul prays that may the God of peace sanctify you completely. You see, it is God who must initiate any action taken to reconcile us to himself. And he has in Christ Jesus. This is what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where he tells us there that anyone who be in Christ is a new creation. Why is he a new creation? Because God was in the world reconciling us to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. And so it is the God of peace who took and initiated the action to reconcile those who are in sin, those who are alienated from him uh, to himself through Jesus Christ. But he go goes on to tell us uh, about what uh, this God of peace did, how he did it. He, he brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ. This is how God reconciled us to himself. He did it through uh, the Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ's death on the cross through his burial and through his resurrection. He brought again uh, from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ. And it is through Jesus Christ that he has reconciled us to himself. But the second thing we see here in, in this verse, he, he tells us, the author tells us about the Lord Jesus Christ. He calls him the great shepherd of the sheep. The great shepherd of the sheep. Jesus Christ, who is our Lord, is the great shepherd of the sheep. He is the good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. He is the one who leads us to still waters, as Psalm 23 says. He is the one who accomplished the work of redemption for us from God for us. And so the good shepherd was willingly and voluntarily uh, laying down, down his life for us. Jesus is our good shepherd. And as our good shepherd then, uh, we owe him our allegiance. We ought to follow him. Uh, and as a good shepherd, that's why he calls us uh, and, and says, come, follow me. And indirectly here, even though not mentioned uh, uh, like God, the God, the Father, who's the God of peace, or the Lord Jesus, great shepherd of our sheep, really this is a Trinitarian prayer uh, in in the fact that he uh, he's praying to God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And indirectly, he's mentioning the Holy Spirit because in verse 21, he says, he says, may God, the God of peace, equip you with every good thing that you may do as well. And who is that equips us but the Holy Spirit? It is the Holy Spirit is the one who changes our nature. He is the one who transforms us. He's the one who equips us and sanctifies us. Jesus himself said this in John chapter 14, verse 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. He goes on in chapter 16, verses 8 through 11, and he says this about the Holy Spirit. He says, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me concerning righteousness because I go to the father and you'll see me no longer concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged 
And, and so we see here in this prayer that God, all, all three persons of the Trinity, is the foundation of our sanctification. The Father raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus died in our place and freed us from sin. And the Holy Spirit is at work in us, transforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. And, and so it's through the work of God that we've been declared holy, that we are holy, and we are being made holy as God is holy. And so, friends, uh, what is going to enable you to live a life that is different than the world around you? What is going to empower you to please God and do his holy will? What is going to enable you to cease living for yourself, cease using other people, and to start loving them and serving them with true good will and good intentions that can truly be called good works? Who, what is going to lead you to factor God in all your life? What is going to help you stand firm in the face of trials and persecution and hold firm to your confidence? It is God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, three in one. God is the foundation of the Christian life in Christ Jesus. How did he, how did he bring this about? How did he do it? It, it? The author goes on to say, by the blood of the eternal covenant that he did it through the blood of the eternal covenant. And, and, and this phrase here recalls the, the, the major theological themes that were in Hebrews. It reminds us of the nature of the new covenant, that the new covenant is eternal and it is never ending because it is built on the blood of a better sacrifice, a once and for all sacrifice made from before the foundation of the world carried out in time and space at the cross and it will be consummated, it will be fulfilled, it will be perfected at the return of Christ. And so when he talks about the blood of the eternal covenant, he's talking about God's plan of redemption that was from the foundation of the world. And so there in verse 20, we see that the foundation of our sanctification is God himself. But secondly, in verse 21, we see the nature of our sanctification. The nature of our sanctification. He, he, in verse 21, the author then moves from uh, the invocation, may the God of peace, he moves to making his petition. He prays that God will equip you. He says, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And so it is God who equips us, makes us fit to do his will. This is what's called the process of sanctification. And sanctification is simply uh, to be made holy, to be made like Christ. And, and as God is holy, uh, that through uh, sanctification, God makes us holy. He has declared us holy in Jesus Christ when, we, when he has saved us, but now he is making us holy he is sanctifying us. And so the first thing we see from our verse here is that God equips us or makes us fit to do his will. He makes us fit to do his will. Uh, he said, now that may the God of peace equip you with every good thing that you may do his will. How, how does he look? How does he do that? Well, look back with me, if you would, uh, to Hebrews chapter 8. Just turn back to Hebrews chapter 8. There in Hebrews chapter 8 in verses 
uh, 8 through 12, the, the author of Hebrews, he quotes uh, Jeremiah chapter 31 uh, through 30, uh, chapter 31, verses 33 through 34. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one to his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their inequities, and I will remember their sins no more. And, and so how did God do this? He, he did it. How, how, how did he make us fit? By writing his law on, onto our hearts. Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter, uh, uh, I lost my spot. There we go. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 24 through 27, puts it this way. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. See, God gives us a new heart, new desires, a new orientation in life. When he called us and saved us and justified us through the blood of Jesus Christ, he made us new creations, declaring us to be holy, declaring us to be saints. And this is the beginning of how God has made us fit to do his will. And, and so in calling us and saving us, he, 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 he declared us holy, he declared us just he put a new law in our hearts but he also put us into the community of christ and, and we call that the local church the local church and, and every christian should be mem a member of a local church because it's one way that god uses to sanctify us and, and it's through the preaching and teaching of the church that he equips he equips us for every good work uh, for the building up of the body of Christ, to reach maturity, the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ, as Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. And so God has made us fit uh, through salvation by declaring us holy uh, and uh, putting his spirit in us. But secondly, God works in us to do his will, what's his pleasing in his sight. That's what he says there. In the next part of that verse, uh, having equipped us with every good work that we may do his will, he's working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. And so God works in us to do his will. Uh, he works in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Uh, the Apostle Paul puts it this way in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. He says, he says in writing to the Philippians, he tells them, he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That, that seems kind of weird. Uh, but then he goes on to say, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work 
for his good pleasure. And so this is what the Apostle Paul is saying, that, that God uh, works in us. He gives us, having given us a new heart, given us new desires, having us a, given us a new orientation in life, uh, he's not left us, but through the spirit that still lives in us, that he's working in us to do his will and his good pleasure. That God has chosen to do this process, this work of sanctification, of making us holy. He has chose to do it by the use of human effort. You see, there is no passivity to the Christian life. As the author of Hebrews has made it clear, we are commanded not to neglect, so grant a salvation, as Hebrews 2, verses 1 through 2 says. That we're to hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope, as Hebrews 3, verse 6 says. We're, we're not to neglect the meeting of ourselves together, as Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 says. We're to please God, as we're urged in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 5 through 6. We're to yield our lives to God uh, in looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, as Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. We're to strive for holiness, as he tells us in 12, 14. And we're not to ne neglect to do good and to share with others, as we're exhorted in 13, verse 16. You see, the implication here, not only in Philippians chapter 2, but here in Hebrews chapter 13, the implication is that sanctification is both a work of God, he is working in us, and a work of the believer, we are working out. And this makes holiness both a fact, we've been declared holy, we declared righteous, and a command, you are to be holy as I am holy. And so God works in us to do his will, what is pleasing in his sight. But thirdly, God works in us to deepen our faith in Jesus Christ. Look at what he says here. We, we don't want to miss this, uh, uh, this phrase here in verse 21 when he says, He'll equip you with every, uh, May the God of peace equip you with every good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ through Jesus Christ. God has equipped us to do his will. He's made us fit. He is working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, as we've seen. But he is deepening our faith in him through our union with Jesus Christ. This work of sanctification is done through Jesus Christ. It's all worked out through our union with Christ. It's a work of the Holy Spirit on the basis of Christ, who is our sanctification. God does it all through what Christ has done for us on the cross. And every, every benefit that accrues to Christ accrues to us through our union with him. And therefore, as Christ is glorified, we will be glorified. As Christ is holy, we shall become holy through our union with him. That's why the Apostle Paul can say in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, because Christ lives in me. Christ lives in each one of us if you're a Christian, and it's through Christ that, that the God is deepening our faith through our union in Christ, that God is deepening our faith in him. And by deepening our faith, I mean that, that it's 
he's, he's, he's allowing us to come into his presence, as Hebrews has told us over and over, that Christ has won a, a way into the presence of God in order that we might have an intimate, deep relationship with God. And so he has won a way, and, it, and it's through being in the presence of God that we are transformed into the image of Christ. It's through the Spirit's application of Christ's work to us and in us and for us that holiness is produced in our lives. We, we see this in, in Galatians chapter 5 where there Paul tells us to walk according to the Spirit. And when we walk according to the Spirit, that the fruit of the Spirit is produced in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, uh, and self-control. That, that the Spirit produces these things through Christ in our lives. Or 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, where there the Apostle Paul says, And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, so that it is written, Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You see, the, the result of our salvation is... Uh, our and the result of our glor uh, uh, our sanctification will be uh, uh, will result in glory to God. Look at that last part, the doxology of this benediction. He says, "To whom be glory forever and ever, Amen." You see, as God makes us holy and sanctifies us, and we become like Christ, we are we are giving glory to God when we live uh, to Him, when we live to please Him, right? Uh, the author of Hebrews said earlier in chapter 13, when we offer up to him sacrifices of praise. And so let us praise God and give him the glory that through Jesus Christ that we are being made holy, we are being conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And so there we see in verses 21 uh, through 20, uh, not only the foundation of our sanctification, but the nature of our sanctification. And, and I want to end uh, here today by talking about, uh, the, the, about grace. I, I talked about a little bit at the beginning about grace. And, and, and what we need to realize is that our sanctification in Christ is a result of grace. It's all grace. Here at the end, uh, having uh, uh, exhorted them to bear with his exhortation, having given good news and and urge them to greet uh, leaders and saints. He ends that, uh, the whole book, uh, with grace be with all of you. Basically what he's saying, he's saying, may the grace of God be with all of you. And, and so what he's doing, he's committing us to the grace of God. Why? Because the Christian life starts by the grace of God. The Christian life is lived by the grace of God. It's the grace of God that saves us and transforms us. It's the grace of God uh, that will bring Christ back to uh, raise our bodies from the grave that we might be like Christ. That we have so great a salvation in Christ because of the grace that God has given us. We can have absolute confidence in the person and work of Jesus Christ because of God's grace. We know that God has committed his grace to us and therefore we can commit ourselves, trust ourselves to God's grace to hold us fast, to hold our confidence to transform us and to strengthen 
uh, our faith in Christ Jesus. You see, as the writer of Hebrews has said, we no longer need to trust the ceremonies or rituals or asceticism or works righteousness. The book of Hebrews has clearly shown us that salvation is not earned by our efforts or merits, but through the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ who cleanses the guilty consciences of those who live by faith in him. And he's made a way for us in the presence of God where we find grace and mercy every time we need it in our time of need. And what grace does, grace reveals the character of God, the God of peace, uh, Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. It is through grace we find mercy and comfort and joy in the cross, like, uh, like, just like Jesus the, did, who is the author and finisher of our, of our faith. It is grace that strengthens us as we come to know and see that Jesus def defeated the powers of darkness and death at the cross. Just like the author of Hebrews told us in chapter 2, verse 14, where he pointed out that Christ destroyed the power of death, that is, the devil. And it is grace that shows us that Jesus has sympathetically entered into our trials and our sufferings and our temptations as we've seen in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 7, 16, that he, he has been tempted in every way as we have. And so we have, in looking through Hebrews, discovered that God's purpose of grace is to save us and redeem us, to reconcile us, to regenerate us, to justify us, to sanctify us, and to glorify us. It is through God's grace in Christ Jesus that we behold his sovereign goodness and his holiness and his immutability. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And because Christ is our high priest forever in heaven at the right hand of God the Father, we will endure to the end. We have been and are being and will be sanctified by the Spirit and will therefore never fall away from this grace that God has given us through his son Jesus Christ we will persevere to the end being held in the hand of the father and no one can snatch us from God's hand now this doesn't mean we won't sin as the author of Hebrews has pointed out we may drift into sin by neglecting so great a salvation we may embrace sin for a moment if we harden our hearts to the Spirit's working. We may for a while bring reproach upon the cross of Christ. Yet those who have been redeemed will be kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. Through his grace, we are kept safe in Christ Jesus. We are kept by his death, his burial, and his resurrection. We are kept in his life, is, is, he is by the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. And here's how the famous Dutch theologian, Herman Babnitz, put it. Speaking of believers in Christ, he wrote, They live in him as the fish lives in water, the bird in the air, the man in his vocation, the scholar in his study. Together with him, they are crucified, 
dead and buried are raised again, seated at the right hand of God and glorified. They have put him on, have assumed his form, and they show in their body both the suffering and the life of Christ and are perfected, fulfilled in him. In short, Christ is all and in all. In our text today, we have looked at what sanctification is and the fact that God, in, that God is in us and working in us as we live for him. But how does God sanctify us and keep us in Christ? We know it's the work of God, the work of God the Father and uh, of the Son and the Holy Spirit. But how does the Holy Spirit, uh, what does the Holy Spirit use to produce the fruit of righteousness in our lives? How does, how does God take the grace he gives us and transform us and change us? I'm going to give you five things. Five things. The first one, we've already learned that God himself changes you. That God himself changes you. He is decisive factor on the journey of the Christian life. If you're a Christian, God has called you and changed you, and he has given you a new heart. Before Christ, your heart was self-serving, self-deceiving, and it was self, self-righteous so that you rebelled against God. But having saved you, he's, orientated your, he's reoriented your life to follow Jesus Christ. If you're not a Christian, pray, pray for God to change you and give you a new heart. You cannot save yourself. He must transform you. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Secondly, secondly, not only does God change you, but the word of truth, the word of God, changes you. This is what God uses to, one of the, one of the big means that God uses to sanctify us. This is why we gather every Sunday to hear uh, the word preached. This is why we gather to study the word. This is why you should read your Bibles daily because it is the word of God. God uses his word, his truth to sanctify us and to transform us and conform us to the image of Christ. Jesus said in John chapter 17, verse 17, he said, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And so God uses his word to change us and transform us. And and so let me encourage you today to get into the Word and let the Word get into you. Read the Word of God every day. Study the Bible with other Christians. Be faithful to hear the preaching and teaching of the Word every Sunday that you can. And, And for this is one of the main ways that God uses to sanctify us. It's His Word. That his word is is truth. The word of God is truth, and it's truth that is transformative, isn't it? When you heard the truth of the gospel and responded, it transformed your life. And God continues to use his word to transform us. And so so the word of truth changes us. Get in the word. thirdly, Thirdly, wise people change you. Wise people change you. Proverbs 27, verse 17 says... Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. The reality is, we as Christians, we need one another. That's why God has put us in a body of Christ called the local church. We, we need one another uh, to be intimately in, intertwined in one another's lives. 
that we might speak into one another's lives. What, what are we speaking into one another's lives? The word of God. That's what we're to speak into one another's lives. This is what Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11, 16 is all about. That, that God has appointed some to be pastors and teachers. What do they do? They equip you for the work of ministry. And what, what is the work of ministry? The work of ministry is to build one another up in love by speaking the truth. That's God's word in love to one another. Why? So that we might grow into the maturity and fullness of Christ. In other words, that we might grow in holiness and righteousness and godliness, uh, that we might be sanctified. And so I would say, dear ones, surround yourself with wise and godly people. If you're a member here at North Stafford Baptist Church, you've chosen to do that by becoming a member, to surround yourself by wise and godly people who can sharpen you by the word of God, and God will use that transform you and sanctify you but fourthly not only God changes you the word of truth changes you wise people change you but God uses suffering struggle and troubles to change you this is the part we least like right suffering and troubles but God uses those he used them in the life of our savior in Hebrews chapter 5 the author told us in verses 7 through 9 he says, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. And so this is what God did to his son, that through suffering struggle, the son learned obedience uh, in his human nature uh, so that he might be our Lord and Savior. Uh, and, and also God uses that for us, that we might grow uh, in godliness and righteousness, that we might go, grow in maturity. He uses sufferings and struggles. And Hebrews chapter 12 has told us that God, uh, as a father disciplines the son he loves, that God disciplines us. He uses these things. Uh, they may seem pain, plain, painful for a moment, but later they yield the peaceful, peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And so suffering, struggle, and troubles, God uses in our lives. Uh, through, because he loves us, uh, he uses these things to mold us and shape us into the image of Jesus Christ. But fifthly and finally, you change. How does God change you? He, he through you, uh, as we saw in Philippians chapter 2, work out your uh, salvation with fear and trembling. That means decide to follow Christ in your life every day. Uh, and, and so uh, God uses your choices, your, your choice to yield yourself to the word of God uh, to transform you. We see this. Uh, the Apostle Paul mentions it concerning the Thessalonians. He writes to them in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. He says, For they themselves report concerning the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. And so God uses you also to change and transform you into the image of Christ. To do that, you must yield yourself to the Spirit in your life. If God is 
working through the Spirit in your life, then, then you must yield yourself to the Spirit. And if God is sanctifying you through His Word, then you must yield yourself to His Word. And if God is using others to speak into your life, then you must yield yourself to the Word that others speak into your life. And this, the Bible says that you must put away wickedness and you must receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. It also tells us to humble ourselves before the Lord and he will lift us up. And it goes on to say, present your bodies as living sacrifices. And so God is at work in us and we are working out what he is doing in the world around us through his grace. And we must remember as we do all these things that our sanctification is the grace of God. It is all the grace of God. It is by his grace that he transforms us. It is by his amazing grace that he saved a wretch like you and me. It is by his amazing grace that he found us and grace that opened our eyes to see the glory of God in the face of Christ. It is amazing grace that taught our hearts to fear and that same grace our fears relieved. It is amazing grace that brought us through many dangers and toils and snares in this life. It is that same grace that will take us home to a better country to a heavenly city that will transform us to be like Christ. It is amazing grace that secures our hopes, amazing grace that is our shield and our portion. It is grace, grace, God's grace through Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. Christ himself is our grace. Therefore, may Christ be with you all this day. Let us pray. Father, we come before you this morning, and we are so grateful for your word to, to us over these last five weeks. I'm sorry, 21 weeks, Father, that you've spoken to us about your son, Jesus Christ, our great high priest forever. And Father, I pray that we would bear with this exhortation, that we would not cast it aside, that we would allow it to deepen our faith in Jesus Christ, that we might hold confidently firm to the end, persevering in the face of trials and temptations and suffering as we look to the author and finisher of our faith, your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we pray today, transform us that we might be holy as you're holy. And may we trust not in ourselves, 
not in our works, but may we only trust in our only hope in this life and the next, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray.